So I'm a wreck right now because uh, Norman and Ashlyn Cannell are sitting here, and that song was a part of the way we celebrated Kaylin's life, I think, eight years ago? Six years ago. So Kaylin Cannella, Ashlyn's older sister, lost a battle with a vicious cancer, and that song we sang in the celebration of life. So I'm already a wreck, <laughs> and I, I, this is not about me, but I'm a wreck, and I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the family. So I'm a wreck because yesterday, and still lingering forward, is all the emotion having us had this fantastic celebration saying goodbye to Bruce. Many of you didn't even know Bruce, and that's okay, but we're a family, and so we're doing this together. And here's the what I wanted to say to you as your brother and as your friend. Some of us are feeling feelings of sadness, and what's happening is your sadness is standing up and shaking hands with the sadness about Bruce, and it's about Bruce, but it's also about what you brought in the room with you. So if you feel emotion about something you don't quite understand it. It's probably a, a loss that you felt and you've experienced. And I had a conversation with someone right before we started, and we talked about this. This woman's husband died a few weeks ago, and so and her dad died, and all of that's kind of. So I just want you to know it's okay, and we're family. And so when 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 tragic things happen, like with Kaylin, and when tragic things happen, like with Bruce. It was a week ago last night at 8.58 p.m. when I got the phone call that Bruce had died. So that, that's a tough thing. It doesn't go away in a week. But we're, we're okay. So what I want you to know is we're okay because we can be sad, but we can also trust in Jesus. We can trust in the resurrection. And it doesn't, nobody says it's easy. But when you feel it, and if you're not feeling it, you're wondering, what's the guy talking about? That's okay, too, because it's coming. It already did, maybe, but it's all, it's the goodness of life. And we just sang that song and think about we, we, we can be brave because the goodness of God trumps all of what's going on. And yesterday, Kathy read the powerful passage at the end of the Bible that says, God is putting all things back together again, and there will be no more death, no more tears, no more crying. No more pain, no more suffering. Suffering, but why? Because Jesus Christ, who was died, was brought back to life again, and we are basing our entire life on the assurance that we can live with with the resurrection. So, you know, anticipating yesterday, we worked really hard. People scrambled, and also we had this great experience, and it was full of emotion for me personally. And I was one of the people that spoke. And then I knew I had to get up and speak again this morning. So I'm going to give it my best shot, you know. But, <laughs> but cut me a little slack, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and and I, I did work hard, and we worked hard on all of this. And people work hard. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay not to feel anything about Bruce. But, but what, what we are is a family. And you, you, you just get to do what I get to do, which is to live in the assurance of the resurrection. And who knows what's coming next? Because the last thing I expected to hear was my, that my brother had slumped over and died. But that's what happened. And so we just got to keep going forward, trusting God and moving forward. So huh, I didn't know how I was going to start this morning. But with all the music and everything else, here, here I am. And so I've done my best. <laughs> We've been in this series. We're in this series. We have one book left. It's called One at a Time. And we're talking about the unexpected way that God wants to change the world using you. So I've been, I've been underlining a couple of things about that. 
God wants to change the world. He wants to use you, and he's, it's unexpected. We're going to do it one at a time. And here's what I keep reminding us all. Everybody plays. There's nobody in the, in the bleachers. Everybody's on the field. Everybody has a part to play. Bruce was really excited about the new equipment that was going in over here, the new audiovisual and lighting system, and he was going to take classes because you know why Bruce was excited? Because when Bruce started working for us, he was not a Jesus follower. He was a drummer, and when the sermon happened, he left the building and smoked cigarettes. But we got him. Jesus got him one at a time. And what happened is Bruce began to see his mission is getting that sound to work really, really, really well so that other people who might enter the building with no real interest might begin to feel the relational openness and the love and the warmth and the invitation to, at your own pace, examine what it means to be a Jesus follower. And that's what Bruce was excited about. He found his place to play. And we're going to meet somebody in just a minute who didn't know it was coming either. We didn't know it was coming with Bruce. And this, this is something that we didn't know it was coming. It's kind of a thing. So this morning, it's about intersections. And there's a couple of kinds of intersections that happen in life, relationship-wise. Some of them you can see coming, and you know there's going to be an intersection with you and somebody else or somebody else. And sometimes else there's intersections, and the, you don't see them coming at all. It catches you off guard. So we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about right now an intersection that happens in the life and work and ministry and love of Jesus and his encounter with a person who's in trouble. Jesus didn't know it was coming, and certainly the person, the main other person in the story didn't know it was coming. So this is from the Gospel of John. The last phrase comes from John chapter 7, but goes through John chapter 8, uh, 1 through 11. This is, this is a story perhaps it's familiar to you. We're going to read all the way through it. And then we're going to go back and look a little bit at it one piece at a time. So here it is. Everybody, just the setting. There's a big, huge, gigantic 38 or 35, 40-acre temple site in Jerusalem. And on it is the actual building, but it's a big site, like 40 acres. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Big, huge, gigantic site. And people would gather there, and they'd talk and what have you. And that's what's happening. So Jesus has been on the temple grounds. There are gates to get in and a wall around. It's open. You could just go in and out. And Jesus is on the ground. It gets late at night. They all went home. Jesus, however, goes to the Mount of Olives. And so the Mount of Olives would be about as far as maybe from here to Publix. Okay, but you can see from the Mount of Olives, you can easily see the east wall of this big, huge, gigantic 35-acre complex. How am I doing? Is that pretty good? So the Mount of Olives is over here east, and there Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives and crashes, right? Maybe in a little town called Bethany. There's a little villages. So at dawn, he appears again in the temple courts. Again, it's this big, huge, wide, open place. There are buildings on it, including the temple, but there are other buildings on it. And so lots of colonnades and porches and that kind of stuff. Jesus appears in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. 
when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, he declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we're going to go back and talk about each one of those little slides just a little bit. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, comes back the next day. He's in the temple courts, and he's always begin, he's drawing a crowd. And he sits down. It's the posture of a rabbi when they're teaching, sitting. So that's, what the, that's why we hear that. But notice here we're introduced to some teachers of the law and Pharisees. So these are people who already are threatened by Jesus because Jesus is talking about the living God, and they're protecting the status quo, which has become for them hollow and they've become beneficiaries of the system and have lost the spirit of what it means to love God and love your neighbor. That's what's happened to them. They're, it's, a it's a tragic shift in what otherwise could have been the goodness of God that they were experiencing sharing with others. So here they are. And look carefully at what happens. They brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Now here we are, big public acres it's the ground on which is the temple, the site where God is present. That's the meaning of the temple, where heaven and earth meet. And these, these, are all, these men, these, these scribes, these lawyers, these Pharisees, have somehow caught a woman in the act of adultery. Well, your, your mind is wondering, how, who, who was trolling around? Who's the creep that was looking? Right? Or what else? And, and this is early in the morning. Notice we're told the time of day. So it's sun is, the sun is up. I, you can let your imagination do whatever it wants to do, but, it, but it's really clear that we're, we're not talking about something that happened a week and a half ago. We're talking about real time. And I get a little creeped out about that. I don't know who these guys are and why, what were they up to. But look, look, the story keeps growing. And I want you to see that there's a possibility of some temperature kind of rising in this story okay they make her stand before the group let's pause and think about how she might be feeling this is a jewish woman she knows that there's this there's this law in there somewhere that says if you do this you should be stoned oh by the way the dude also is subject to the same penalty where is he i'm serious where is he there's no, there's no record of where he is, which to me is a, another reason why the temperature inside of Jesus could be hiding. But think about her. She's probably wondering when the first rock is going to get her and how long will she be conscious. She's hurting. Now, there's brokenness in her life already, which is obvious, but she's literally in fear because she doesn't know where it's coming from. And I would imagine some they would not have brought a person that had zero clothes on into the public. They would have covered her with something. And I think Jesus is really starting to get mad. 
Now, he has a righteous, holy anger. And oh, be careful that you think you can do it. <laughs> I can't. I'm not, I can't do it, but he can because he's never going to cross the line. They say to him, teacher, and this is a little bit of a kind of disrespectful way of using the word. You have to trust me that in the Greek language, the way they say the word and the word they use could be respectful, but there's a kind of an edge on it that they're using. And, and let me suggest to you that there's some haughtiness in these people, like they are displaying their moral superiority to this woman. See if you can feel that going on there. Teacher, this woman was caught, and in the Greek language, it's really clear, in the very act, in this time when it says adultery, this part, in the act, it, it means in the very act at that moment. She was caught in adultery. And then they quote the law. Now, it, it's, it's hard to find the law. It's in there, and it's seldom enforced, particularly in the first century. It was never enforced a lot, but it was n almost never enforced at all in the first century because they were occupied by the Romans, and only the Romans could issue a death warrant. And they knew that also. They're, they want to make Jesus look bad, so they're also a little smug. They think they got him. They think they got Jesus. This, the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, remember, she's trembling. Jesus is starting to get, I think, a little mad. They're haughty and smug. Now, what do you say? And then uh, John tells us there, he gives an editorial comment. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bends down on the ground and starts to write. Now, it's, it's block, it's rock, but it's got dirt on it. So it's fun to say, well, what was he writing? right? I don't know. Maybe he had a grocery list. <laughs> maybe he was making a list of all the other sins he thought maybe were going on in this moment, such as, for instance, hypocrisy. Huh? No one knows because we're not told, but here for sure is a part of what happens as he's writing. It's delaying his response which is certainly causing the temperature to rise in these men who've thrown this woman in front of. So the, in order to have a base for accusing him, but he bends down, he writes with his finger, and we go to the next slide. They keep on questioning him. So he's down here writing. He won't get up. He's not saying anything. And I think they're beginning to get, they, they came in haughty and smug. They're starting to wonder what's going to happen. They want to hear a response because they resent him and they have been plotting to catch him. And I should point out to you that the, these people that want to stone this woman to death, just at the end of chapter 8 of the book of John, by the end of chapter 8, guess who these same people have decided they're going to stone and kill? Jesus, he's stepping into the firing line on our behalf and on this woman's. So now we're beginning to understand the meaning of this beyond the obvious in the present. So he says, any one of you, look at this answer. Look at what Jesus said. If any one of you is without sin, you can throw the first rock. Now, let me make sure you understand what Jesus isn't saying. Okay, Jesus is not saying that there isn't a sin going on here. In fact, this is, this is a real serious problem. Adultery is a serious problem. It was then, it is now. So he's not saying it doesn't matter. Oh, it matters a lot. 
And in fact, Jesus is going to die on a cross for all of the things that we do that, that aren't right, that are wrong, that are sinful. He's going to die for all of us. And he's not saying this doesn't matter. Oh, it matters a lot. But that's not the point here. The point is, is this smugness and this haughtiness is being confronted. And he says to them, you who've never sinned, you go and you can throw the first stone. And then look what he does again. He didn't finish his grocery list, so he's down writing a little bit longer. And look what happens. Those who heard began to go away one at a time. And I love this next line. The old guys went first. <laughs> so here, here's what I can see. You've been around a while. Maybe you've come to terms with your humanity. Notice when you point a finger at somebody, you've seen this before, there are three more pointing back. And if you're going to call somebody out on something, and if you're going to hold somebody accountable to the law of Moses, you better start with yourself. And if you start an honest inventory of self, you're going to walk away knowing that you too are guilty. That's the power of Jesus' response. Those who here began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. And so I can see the young bucks who just can't wait to take somebody out. You know, they've got rocks in their hands and they're looking around and going, where'd they go? <laughs> and the young testosterone-laden boys think that they don't, they don't have the insight and the wisdom yet to realize, wait a minute, I just got had. So they run off with their tails between their legs. And the older guys probably brought them up to speed a little bit on wisdom. Jesus skewers them he dissects them so that all that they are is exposed he loves them too by the way don't you worry that cross is for these guys it's for all of us only the woman is standing there at this point maybe she's beginning to realize that there's not going to be a rock that's going to strike her so this is the way the story finishes Jesus straightens up and he asks her, woman, and let this, one, let this be an affectionate term. It might sound like a kind of course to you. That's, that's not what's going on. In the Greek language, he, it's a warm term, an affectionate term. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she's back, she can see, I guess she pulls her head up. What she has, she's covered with sheets or something. She pulls her head and looks around, sees they're gone. No one, sir. A term of respect, a term of appreciation for the, she knows that he's some kind of important teacher. Then neither do I condemn you. And then go and stop living this way. It says literally in the Greek text, it says, go and from now on no longer sin and it means linear activity it means stop that behavior and keep stopping it and it keeps going on in other words continuous action from now going forward so again he's not saying it didn't matter he's saying it matters a lot and he he's going to give his life for us because what we do and don't do that's good or not good matters a lot to God and so we need someone to rescue us she need to be rescued and here's what she's having to learn to do and what you're having to learn to do in this intersection between Jesus and the leaders and this Jesus and this woman. He didn't see it coming. She certainly didn't see it coming. But he was one at a time right there loving this woman. Here's what happens. 
He forgives her. She must now learn to live by forgiveness. You and I saw it coming, maybe, maybe we didn't, but we had an intersection with Jesus, and we needed rescue her. She needed rescue from imminent death. He rescues her, and he forgives her, and he purposes her by sending her out to be a person who's living forgiven. Another way of saying this is what's going on here is Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. And we have that text. We're in, Rome, we're in John chapter 8. Jump back to John chapter 1, verse 13. And here, here it comes up on the wall. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's John's way, 14 verses in, is saying the, tri, the triune God of the universe who's preexistent, the co-creator, Jesus, Always was. Jesus was before there was time or space. Jesus is not subject to time and space. The almighty God of the universe is beyond all of that. That almighty God in the second person of the Trinity became a human being and dwelled among us. And we've seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Look at the grace and truth intersecting with this person one at a time. And what happens to her is she gets made over again into a new person, learning to live forgiven. And so one at a time, these intersections happen in our lives. Sometimes we know they're coming. Sometimes we don't know they're coming. I want to talk about one that happened and is happening in a family in this church. And I'm going to make sure that you couldn't possibly know who we're talking about. This is a couple. This, this is a conversation that, that I heard in a life group. And so what this person said was in their family, there was a sibling. And the sibling, um, there was a sibling of this couple, of one of them, who... Uh, was extraordinarily dysfunctional, including some substance stuff. And there was a family event happening, a wedding, and so everybody was going to meet together at the wedding, right? So here we have an intersection that's coming, and the sibling who is dysfunctional has on purpose and chosen to estrange from everybody else, including the friends who were part of this life group discussion. So our friend, we heard about this in the life group conversation. They were planning and had the trip scheduled, and they go on the trip, and their goal was to just try to rebuild a little bit of a bridge right? So in we go to this setting, and it's awkward and uncomfortable, and when it was all over, all that our friends could say who went there intentionally, knowing that they were going to see the sibling, the sibling finally walked over to them and said something like, I'm, it was good to see you, and then that was about it, and when I did a little post-mortem with them later on when they were back home, their, their answer was, it's a start, so this is a couple Jesus followers learning and living as forgiven people who knew it was coming. And in this complexity of family dynamics and the possibility of dysfunction and the possibility of some addiction going on, all of that intentional forgiven people. No judgment, certainly some hurt, but no judgment entering in on purpose to do their best to try to be one at a time in this family dynamic. And guess what? You have family dynamics. Whew, do I have family dynamics. And so you're, you're being invited, maybe today, that there's somebody in your family, and one at a time, you can see the intersection that's going to happen, and you know there's going to be this encounter, and you can go in prepared, and you start 
with the three fingers coming back at you saying, I'm going to live forgiven in this relationship and, and reach out in some way that might be able to put something back together again. That's an example. All of us have stuff like that in our lives. But I, I'm going to finish by talking about the example and go back to Bruce, if I could. So Bruce is a professional sound man. And here's what happened. We got the phone call last Saturday night. And Sunday morning, all these great people who are part of this team here, this is, we didn't see it coming, right? Nobody saw this coming. And so everybody's scrambling. And Dina's scrambling and Arthur's scrambling and Matt's scrambling. Everybody's scrambling just to make all this work. It's difficult. There's all kinds of fancy stuff back there. Don't ask me about it. But Bruce knew, like it's in, like in back of his hand with, the, with all of this, the music and the sound. And so somehow we got through last Sunday, and it sounded fine. The music sounded fine because the sound was getting mixed. Well, here's what happened after that. People in churches in South Tampa went to work for us. Nobody saw this coming. There's a man back here right now at the booth. His name is Riley. He's cringing that I'm even saying his name. <laughs> and Riley heard about Bruce because, listen carefully, because the man who's the vendor over here of the new sound system with whom Bruce and I met just a week and a half beforehand, that man heard about Bruce. Maybe I called him. I can't remember. And that man got on the phone. And the next thing I know, this is happening Monday. Tuesday, I'm at lunch at a beautiful fundraiser about foster care. And they're sitting two tables over is J.J. Johnson, the pastor of South Tampa Fellowship. And I go over to see my boy J.J. because we're boys. And we hang out. And we love each other, and we're on the same mission doing the same thing. I go see J.J., and he's sitting next to me, sitting next to him as one of the people on his team who's in charge of making sure everybody with all this production stuff knows what they're doing. And she had already made a phone call, and that's how we got Riley. You follow what I'm saying? All these people in churches in South Tampa that know what happened about Bruce, they're out there pulling for me. My boy, Mike Ash, he's the campus pastor at Grace. We're boys, Mike and I. We hang out. He loves me, I love him, he trusts me, I trust him, and we're trying to reach this community together. They'll get some, we'll get some, all of us will get some, but we want to go get them. And they know how important it is that we have sound. So Mike's calling people. Sean's in the music business. He works in a music store. He's calling people. We didn't see it coming. But when it happened, people were prepared. You know why? Because that's a bunch of people who've been learning to, li learn to live, who've been learning to live as forgiven people. How gracious. Another man came Wednesday night who is in charge of all the music and the technology at his church over in Pinellas County. I called him because he plays music with Dave Dunkel and Dave Dunkel's Christian rock band. And he came over here Wednesday night and he set the sound up and saved it in scene number 15. So all Riley had to do was come in here and punch scene 15 and all the music's working right. Is it sounding good this morning or what? I forgot to say, you were all busy talking. You didn't listen to a thing McLean said. The person leading this morning is one of our interim leaders. <laughs> her, her name is Lindsay and Burnett, and she's a student at Southeastern University in Lakeland, and she was here. That's the woman who's going to lead us again in a minute when I stop. So, so all of this is to say that in an intersection inside the family of faith and on our peninsula, People didn't see it coming, but these are all people who've been learning to live forgiven. And because they have been forgiven, they're one at a time. They're one at a timing us. I already suggested to you that there's something coming that you already know, and it's probably family. And wouldn't it be great 
if our families were transformed and we were agents in that transformation and you have been loved and forgiven one at a time by Jesus. That's who you are. That defines us. And therefore, we have something to give. You're not giving yourself. You're giving your forgiven self. So when the, in the one that you can see coming, be intentional. Talk to God about it. Talk to somebody you trust about it because it is coming. And you can choose to be intentional, forgiven, and an agent of transformational change in somebody else's life. But on the other hand, if you, you, don't, if you don't know it's coming, then all the preparation it takes to be ready for the one that's coming, you know what? That's going to serve you when it comes along and you don't know it's coming. Being ready. <sighs> so I'm going to stop because I'm, I'm, I think I've said what I wanted to say this morning. And what I really want to say is you are forgiven and I am forgiven and therefore we uh, I think what I want to do is get my band to come on up here now because we're going to sing another song. You guys come up here and I'll, I'm going to pray right as you get set behind me. We forgot, we forgot to um, set a signal for when they come up. <laughs> so here they are. They're fantastic. So let, let's do this. Forgiven people, one at a time people, purposed to be a one at a time intersector in somebody else's life people. Let me pray for all of us. Gracious God, we again thank you for the ability to be a family and to come in here and to be full of joy and sadness all at the same time. And for those of us in the room who feel a sense of loss about Bruce or about some other loss in our lives, we ask that you would protect and guide and wrap your arms around each one of them, each one of us, and that the peace that's beyond our ability to understand it in a human sense will protect our hearts and guard our hearts. We pray that, but we also pray for the, the intersection that's coming. We pray that somehow we'd be purposed to be intentional, to be a forgiven person, and therefore an agent of forgiveness and grace in someone else's life. We thank you that you're full of grace and full of truth, and it all matters. And you, you, we matter so much to you that you've stood in the line of fire, and you have taken all of the pain of the brokenness of our lives individually in the world, and and you have rescued us from death, and that's what we celebrate today. All of this in the name of Jesus, the King of the universe, who forgives us. Amen.